So let me ask you this question, because we're introducing a new series this weekend. It'll be three parts, three, week, three, three individual messages. Well, what I mean individual, be covering three weekends. And uh, let me just start out with asking this question. If I were to ask the average person, or if we were to ask the average person, what is the identifying mark of Christianity? If you put aside the, you know, the clowns, you know, we have clowns in this world, you know that? If you put aside the clowns, it would answer with some type of a nasty remark or a prejudiced remark or a mocking remark. If you put that aside, I think most people would say that the identifying mark of Christianity or the message of Christianity is hope. It's hope. I think we could all agree that the message of the Bible is the, is the message of no matter how bad things get, no matter what we face in life, God has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never, never. Even in our worst times, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Never. And so hope was a powerful message that attracted millions of people during the first century. Most of those people lived either in slavery or under oppressive Roman control. The Roman Empire was one of the most oppressive cruel empires that ever existed in history. So from the mouth of Jesus and, and from the letters of the apostles, we hear Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, listen to what the Holy Spirit tells us through the apostle Paul. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with what? Hope. hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living what? Hope. hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, imagine how appealing those scriptures sounded to people in the early church in the first century who were shunned by their families, shunned by their neighbors, persecuted by the government, hunted by a society who hated what they stood for. And maybe this is the reason why Paul wrote to Titus, one of his disciples, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Now, when he said this present age, he's talking about the past 2,000 years, not just the first century. The disciples knew. The first disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, after the resurrection, after he ascended into heaven, they understood that they were living in a, a new dispensation of time a new season, a new window of time in human history. They understood this. So we could say the same thing today about this present age because it is the same age as the early church. Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, now listen to what, listen to what the church considered the blessed, blessed hope was, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You following me? 
Paul called the return of, the, of Jesus the blessed hope of the church. He said that while we wait for Jesus to return, God's grace is there for us to live in such a way that honors God and attracts non-believers, okay? The apostle John put it this way. 1 John chapter three, verse two. Dear friends, now we are children of God and, we, we, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse three, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. What's he saying? What's he saying? This is the message of the New Testament. The message of the New Testament is this. Prepare yourself. He's coming. He's coming. Be ready. Get your acts together. Clean your act up. Why? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Okay, this is the message. This is the series. Living in the last days. We are living in the last days. And you don't live in the last days the way you lived previously. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. But the world has changed drastically and keeps changing drastically. And it started about 100 years ago. Changing drastically. We look at life and we look at time and history through our own little perspectives. And we're only here 80, 90, 100 years. Sometimes somebody might live a little, live a little bit longer than that. And so we, we think that we know life and history and God and the way everything operates, but we're, we're only seeing it in that little box of time where God sees out of time and space. He sees outside of that, and he sees the big picture. And he's been preparing things for, for thousands of years to come to the place that this world would be ready to receive the Lord Jesus Christ again, okay? Now, many of you are sitting here, and you're listening to me, and trust me, I got a lot more I gotta, I gotta talk about. But I want you to resist the temptation because it's inevitable when you talk about stuff like this, okay, that some people, not most, but some people will say, they've been saying this for years and years and years and years and years. If that's you, you fulfilled prophecy. Because Peter said, in the last days, there will be those that will say, where is his coming? The fathers have been talking about this forever. He's coming. Listen to me. He's coming. Give me some time. Let's talk about it some more. Paul was given a sneak preview of what was going to happen in the very days that we live in. The Holy Spirit showed him. Remember, Paul had multiple visions. Paul spoke with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had revelations that you and I have never experienced. We know that he was taken to heaven at least once. So he's writing from, from inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he's experienced some of these things already. He's seen what it's going to be like. John the Apostle, same thing, saw what it was going to be like in the days that you and I live in. Saw things that he couldn't describe. He described them as best as he could in the terms that he understood. But listen to what Paul says about these last days. 
You know what? I should have read this as if it was an article out of a newspaper or something, and then you would have seen how accurate it is. Listen to what Paul wrote almost 2,000 years ago. He's writing to a pastor named Timothy, a young man that's been raised up under Paul's ministry, who's pastoring the church at Ephesus. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Now, we're gonna, in a little while, we're going to concentrate on this first verse right now, but let me read the whole thing. This is, what, this is what Paul wrote. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Now he's going to describe those perilous times. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. We're we're a whole lot of un, okay? Slanderers, without self-control. Brutal, despisers of good. Traitors, headstrong, haughty. In other words, having an elevated opinion of themselves. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. Do you realize that every word, every adjective that he used to describe what it would be like in the last days, we're living in right now. We're living in it right now. But know this, in the last days, perilous times would come. I want to concentrate on that verse. I've studied... Bible scholar Rick Renner's notes on this verse. He's a Greek expert in the Greek language, um, amazing teacher of the Bible. If you got a chance to listen to any of his videos or study after him, the guy's got tremendous revelation in the Word of God. This is how he broke down that verse one, okay? But know this, in the original language, this is what it says. You must grasp the reality of this. The Holy Spirit's saying, you must grasp the reality of this, that in the last days, perilous times are going to come. Another translation would put it this way. It is imperative that you know this. Why? Because if you don't know this, then these perilous times are going to sneak up on you, and you're not going to realize that instead of it being days of darkness and gloom, that it's a time for us to have hope because the Holy Spirit said, when the world gets like this, lift up your eyes, he's coming soon. You listening? So what are we supposed to know? What, what must we grasp the reality of? He said, know this, that in last days, perilous times are gonna come. The word last days, the word in Greek is eschatos. Say, hey, well, what does that mean to me? Well, it's a nautical term. The people of that day would have understood immediately when the word eschatos was used. This is what it meant. It's the very last port on a journey. In other words, this is the end of the line. There's no further to go once you come to this point. This is it. The last stop on the line. It's the farthest you can go. It's where we get the word eschatology from, which is the study of the last days before Jesus returns. Now, while it might not be the first thing on every preacher's mind today, 
in the early church, it was a central doctrine. They thought he was, they thought he was coming back any minute. And you notice how they lived? Bold, courageous, undistracted. You're going to throw me to the lions? Psh, I don't care. I'll just see him that much quicker. They lived differently because they had an understanding that Jesus was coming soon. Amen. Say, well, it was 2,000 years ago, okay? There's a principle in the word of God. Bible tells us, Peter says, that a day with the Lord is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day. And there's a principle according, you know, some people believe, I happen to believe it, that we have as many years, we have as many 1,000-year segments as we had days of creation. How many days of creation are there? How many days of creation are there? Six. Seventh day is a day of rest. That's the day we're about to enter into when Jesus returns. It's 4,000 years from Adam to Christ. It's 2,000 years from Christ till now. How many? Six. You, you hearing me? You listening to me? God knows what he's doing. He's made it really clear for us to understand. Okay, if we would just study the word. You listening to me? There's some other things I'm going to show you. But this message is not supposed to be a message of, 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 of making us afraid or frightened. It's supposed to make us to realize, oh my God, he's coming. And this is why everything is crazy. Does anybody realize how crazy the world has gotten? I saw a post on Facebook. Somebody posted. It was uh, uh, about Gilligan's Island. And they said that somebody sent them a bottle and said, stay there. The world has gone crazy. Stay where you are. The world has gone crazy. So, so while it's not the center thing that's being preached and taught today in the early church, that was the central message. The resurrection and the second coming. The resurrection and the second coming. The resurrection and the second coming. Is that? Then it became fashionable to be a Christian. It became a, a fashionable thing. It became an accepted thing. Constantine declared Christianity to be legal in Rome, the official Roman religion. And so there was no more being ashamed of being a Christian. And what that does is just make a whole lot of non-Christians become part of something just to be fashionable. And everything got diluted from that point. Until about 100 years ago. And some Christians who were really seeking God, just like we were tonight, all of a sudden started realizing, wow, the Holy Spirit is real. The power of God is real. Things are happening in the world that are lining up the way Jesus said they would. Okay? And, and listen, I can get ahead of myself real easy on this because, man, this is the thing. We used to have a saying that we used to use a lot. Man, that makes my baby jump. You know, like when, when Mary first met Elizabeth when she was pregnant for John? You know what happened to, to, to Elizabeth? She said, oh, my baby leapt within me when, when he heard the, 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 the voice of the mother of my Lord. So there's something about, like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Make your baby jump? Like when something, it's a thing like that gets you excited. This stuff gets me excited. I mean, from the first day I got saved 37 years ago. 
this stuff, when we start talking about the last days, Jesus returning, how the world is all fitting into, into the pattern that needs to be present for Jesus to return. You know, having been a history student, a history major for many, many years, when I got saved and I started rethinking history that I studied, I went, oh my God, this is a plan that he has. It's all coming together. This is why that war was fought, and this is why that civilization collapsed, and this is why this happened, and this is why even modern-day things are coming together. It's right there. It's right there. But unfortunately, most of the church is living like catching flies. And we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. Why? Well, pastor, I'm born again. My spirit's alive unto Christ. If anything happens, I'm going to heaven. Well, what do you do for you? But what about your family members? What about your neighbors? What about your coworkers that are not ready for Jesus Christ to come? What about them? Do they not deserve the opportunity? Do they not deserve to have somebody in their life who knows this stuff and is willing to go to them and say, hey, come on, you got to get in. Get in the ark because the rain is coming. You understand what I'm saying? So, Again, while that's not the first thing, I'm going to make a confession to you, and some of you are going to think it's kind of strange. I don't watch a lot of Christian television anymore. I, I, I'm not, I don't have anything against anybody, but when Christian television was teaching the Word, and when Christian television, for the most part, didn't just have people on so they could sell books. They were feeding the body of Christ. I am tired of clicking on a Christian television program and, and having a motivational message instead of telling me, this is how you need to live right now because Jesus is coming. Listen to Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Now when he, Jesus, had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud and received him out of their sight. Verse 10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Do you realize what just happened? Jesus brings his disciples to the Mount of Olives. Okay, just right outside of Jerusalem. From the Mount of Olives, they could see the Temple Mount right there. And he said to them, I'm going. This is where he told them, go into every nation, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you always. This is where he told them, go lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. This is where he told them, Cast out devils. Raise the dead. If you drink anything deadly while you're on the, on the mission for me, nothing's going to hurt you. And then he said to them, I'll see you later. And he rose. He ascended into heaven. And, and I've heard this taught. I personally believe it myself. Uh, you know, the Bible uses a lot of symbols sometimes that if you're not in tune with the symbols, you can miss it. And he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. 
A cloud sometimes talks about groups of people, not just a regular cloud. And I believe with all my heart that when Jesus ascended into heaven, we'll find out when we get to heaven. When we get to heaven, we'll ask Jesus, and you'll find out I was right. <laughs> that all those people that rose from the dead when Jesus, you remember when he said it is finished in the earthquake, and it said the tombs opened up of all the saints? And it says, and they went into Jerusalem and appeared to their family members? I believe that they were still on the earth for that 40 days. That when Jesus went up, all of those went up with him. Could you imagine what a sight that was? And so could you imagine all those 11 individuals standing there in the Mount of Olives like this? You see, they did not know that he was leaving. How do we know that? Because if you read the beginning of the chapter, they said to him, is it at this time that you're going to establish your kingdom in Jerusalem? They're like, come on, what are we doing here? Let's, let's go. Let's go march on Jerusalem. Let's kick out the Romans. Let's, take, let's get your throne back. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the time or the day. But you shall receive what? But you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and, and Samaria, Judea and Samaria and the other parts of the earth. They, they didn't realize that he was leaving. And then to put that, say, say if it did happen the way I said it did, where all those Old Testament saints got raptured and taken up into heaven with him, could you imagine what a sight that was? And so two angels show up. <laughs> I would have loved to have been there because I could picture them going like, what are you guys doing here, standing here with your mouth open? This same Jesus that you see leave is coming back just like he left. Are you listening to me? So, so when you read this trash on the internet or whatever form of media that you expose yourself to, uh, and Christ returned, reincarnated in such and such a place or that place or that place or the other place, don't believe it. Because the only place he can ever return to is to the Mount of Olives. Why? Because that's where he left from. You listening? He's coming. What we're going to talk about in this series over the next few weeks is how should we now be living in the light of the fact that he's coming? Okay, well, well some of us maybe just say, well, that, I, I don't even know how to think along those lines. I can't imagine even thinking living in a life that's so different. Where have you been for the past 18 months? Do you see how much life has changed just in the last 18 months? Okay. Do you see how people's lives have, how many families have drastically changed? How many people have lost loved ones? Their life's never going to be the same again. How many people have suffered in hospitals and, and still have residue of the illness that they're carrying around? The world changed just 18 months ago. Don't you realize that? But it's changing in increments. The world changed 20 years ago when the towers fell in New York. Life has never been the same since then. It keeps changing. We just keep wanting to hold on to it. Like we just keep waiting for something to go back to it. Honey, it ain't going back the way it was. It's never going back the way it was. Even when Jesus comes, it's not going back the way it was. Whole new world. Whole new life. And you want to know something? We're not ready for it yet. 
Because if we were, we would all, I'm including myself in there, we would all be living different than what we're living right now. The second coming of the Lord will be very different from the first. When Jesus was born, it was in a humble surroundings under poor circumstances. When he returns, rather than a babe in swaddling clothes, Christ comes as king. He's coming back as a king. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to, deal with the, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. Okay? So we see all throughout the scriptures. I got I to gotta move along here because we're running out of time. And I got to get to a certain place in this first part of the series. You see, his second coming is not about sin. Paul makes it clear. In the book of Hebrews, we just read that scripture. He's not coming to deal with sin. He's coming for those who eagerly await him. Okay? He's not coming to heal those who are suffering. Healing is available now through his body on the earth. Okay? When Jesus returns, he's coming to save those who are waiting for him. You listening? All right, let me skip through some of this. Okay, so, so we hear all this through the New Testament. Okay, listen, I'm just going to rattle off some scriptures. Okay, I pray that you just, could you just write the things down or put it in your phone, and then you can go, go read, the, read them in detail. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. What am I trying to do here? I'm trying to show you how prevalent this theme of the second coming is because you and I have gotten used to read things out of context. We pick our favorite scriptures. We don't read them in context. And therefore, we're not getting the full gospel. Are you listening? Yes. All right. I'm not going to ask you anymore because I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> First Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit, soul, and body, are three parts of our nature, be preserved complete without blame to when? At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is constant. It's all through the scriptures. Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await uh, for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see it again? Titus 2.13. We read it before. For looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, Revelation 1.17. Uh, 1.7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. <laughs> It's not talking about rain clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. So I'm about the nation of Israel. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So be it, amen. Revelation 22, 12. Be, this is Jesus' words. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. It is evident, and I, I could have went 10 more scriptures. Go look for yourself. It is evident the early church was convinced that Jesus would return at the end of the age. Okay? Now, whether Jesus is going to return or not is not the issue. The issue right now that you need to deal with is, are we in fact in the last days? Yes. Now, how many of you saw the video series that we did early summer with Pastor Bobby Andy? And how many of you saw that? How many of you see your hand? Remember, you know, Wednesday nights, come on, let me see your hands. My God, you can't even pick your hand up? Okay? Remember the details because I can't go into that much detail. Now, Pastor Matt, we talked about doing the series again in Babel at the Babel campus. We need to do that because a lot of people down there, they never got to see that, okay? But let me, I'm just going to go to two, two specific areas. To me, this should be enough, but I know there's more, 
okay? If you want, contact me. I'll give you more material. The disciples asked Jesus for a sign in the last days, Matthew 24, 6. This is what he said. Well, actually, if you back up to the first few verses of Matthew 24, when they asked him, he said this, see that you are not deceived. That alone should tell you that we're in the last days. Because there has never in the history of mankind been as much deception and propaganda and lies that are being perpetrated upon the population of this earth ever like this in history. Are you listening to me? Lift up your eyes, open your ears. Stop being like sheep, okay? Understand you have an enemy that hates you, okay? Now, in verse six, he said this, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And you're saying, we've always had wars, we've always had famines, we've always had plagues, we've always had earthquakes, but not like we've had in the past 100 years. World War I and World War II, tens of millions of people died. Just in the Holocaust alone. We talk about the Holocaust. The most popular number is given in the Holocaust is how many people died? Six million. Okay, what about the eight million others that were non-Jews that were killed in Russia, in Eastern Europe? Uh, they tried to wipe out the entire gypsy population. Today, they're called Romani. Okay? Nobody talks about all those people. Well, and I'm not minimizing the six million by no means, but it was way more than six million. Okay? In fact, there were 21 million that were killed when the Chinese communists took over in the late 1940s. Stalin wiped out over 25 million people. Ne- this is unprecedented. If you took all the, world's, uh, all the wars of history and put them together, they would never measure, measure up to that many casualties. Something was different. Are you listening to me? But you see, because you and I have lived in this, this is all we know, so we think it's normal. It's not normal. It's different, okay? Now, one major sign that I will give you that the world never thought would come to pass, caught everybody by surprise, took took place on May the 14th, 1948. Most of of the students in history classes today, they probably don't even cover that, that date. Can anybody tell me what happened on May the 14th, 1948? Israel became a nation once again after 2,000 years of being dispersed. Now, we've lived through this. So to us, it's like most of us in this room, we've grown up always knowing that there was a nation of Israel. It was completely unheard of before the early 1900s. Nobody even thought it would ever come to pass. Yet on May the 14th, 1948, the United Nations declared Israel its own sovereign nation, okay? 1967, can anybody tell me what happened in June of 1967? Six-day war. What happened as a result of the Six-day War? Israel, the Israeli army, recaptured Jerusalem. That started the clock. Tick, 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 tick. So people, where people have been saying Jesus could... No, no, Jesus could not come before 1967, because Jesus has to return to where? 
Jerusalem. You listening? That's the main sign. To me, when, that, when I saw that, I was like, I don't need anything else. Because in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, Jesus said this. Jesus himself said this. And Jerusalem shall be trampled upon by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That happened in June of 1967. Up until June of 1967, Jordan controlled Jerusalem. The Israelis had the rest of the country. Well, not all of it. They've got, they still don't have all of it. But they recaptured Jerusalem. That started the clock. Now we can say, Jesus is coming back. Because people during World War I said, oh, Jesus must be coming because this war is terrible. And they could point to anybody being the Antichrist. World War II, people thought Mussolini was the Antichrist. They thought Hitler was the Antichrist. Couldn't be. Why? Because Jerusalem and Israel was still under Gentile control. What does Gentile mean? Non-Jew. You listening to me? I'm not trying to bore you with a history lesson, but these things should pop up. Why? Because Jesus said 2,000 years ago, this is going to happen. He said, just before I return, Jerusalem is going to get restored. Now imagine this. Jerusalem is still theirs at the time when he said that. They couldn't even fathom the fact that Jerusalem would be taken. They couldn't even fathom the fact that their temple that was so sacred to them would be destroyed. Yet most of them saw it in their lifetime. We're living in the last days, church. Listen to me. We're living in the last days. Now, this series is going to be, how do we live in these last days? And we've already seen so much change in the past 18 months. And honestly, if we could sum it all up as it pertains to the church now. Can you guys give me another five minutes? Please? Okay. Can you give me five minutes? I don't hear all of you. Can you give me five minutes? All right, good. Now I got you. The biggest change that took place in the past 18 months for Christians. Now, it might not be you, and I hope it's not. But many Christians took their dependence that they had on God and became dependent on man. You listening to, I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna get in detail here. But we have seen where people's attitudes have changed drastically, okay? They took their dependence that they had on God and they became dependent upon man, okay? Do you not see it? Do you not see that we have a government now that's doing everything possible to make you completely dependent on the government instead of being dependent on God? Are you seeing this? And, And making it where it's almost impossible not to get sucked into this thing? I've never seen so many Christians say stuff like, well, uh, didn't, you, didn't you see the news? Don't you see what the government's saying? Don't you see what this medical person is saying? Don't you see what this scientist is saying? They're men. They're mortal men. They have flaws just like you. They're not God. Some of you don't like what I just said. You should take an inventory because you may have switched your dependence from God onto man. The division that has taken place within Christianity is destroying relationships and it's reducing our ability to be a light to the darkness, to the people that are in darkness. 
Okay, this is real stuff. Look, church, we can't sit here on Saturday nights, Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights. We just can't sit here and go, let's, let's just talk about the nice things, pastor. Just make me feel good. Those days are gone. We now have to mobilize. We're supposed to be an army. I don't know if you realize that. Okay, you look in the New Testament, we are always referred to as an army. It's, uh, Jesus used military terms. Paul used military terms. We're supposed to be an army. This, the church is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. A lot of Christians just want to like, just want to enjoy life. Just want to enjoy my blessings. And yeah, does he want us? And yeah. Yeah, in fact, at the Bible study this past Thursday up in Wall, for those of you who don't know, my wife and I do Bible study up in Wall every Thursday night at 7 o'clock. We're studying this stuff. We're studying how to live a generous life. Why? Because this whole pandemic and all the craziness in our economic system is causing people to become very inward and very me, 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 me. When you see people fighting over toilet paper, we've got a problem. People are becoming inward. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. You can't have what I need this. I might need this. That's not Christianity, church. We're supposed to be dependent upon God and let God use us to pour out his goodness to others. But if you've gotten your eyes on yourself and your needs and my family and my family and my family, you're not going to be generous. And when you're not generous, you're not representing the heart of God. I should have got a lot of amens that time. So listen, let me, let me just take a few minutes to finish up that first verse. Paul said, we're going to be living in perilous times. That word perilous, I want you to get the idea what this is here. I want you to get the picture of what that word is that he used. It's a Greek word called kalepos. It's the word kalepos. It means exceedingly fierce. And the only other time this word is used in the entire New Testament is in Matthew 28, when Jesus was going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and goes over there and encounters two demon-possessed men who were so fierce, so dangerous, so brutal, scared the bejeebies out of the entire community. Nobody even wanted to go near that place. And it's the same word that's used, exceedingly fierce, is the same word that Paul uses about what it's going to be like to live in these last days. Do you remember what he said? Brutal, fierce, terrifying, all these things. What are we living? What kind of a society are we living in already? And it's good here compared to some places in the world. Ferocious, untamed, brutal, unrestrained. I mean, just what we've seen in our cities in the past two years. Who would have imagined that we'd see stuff like that? People, people getting hurt, brutalized, beat by gangs, and then left in the street, and people just walking by? We've never seen that in our society before. Yeah, you've seen it overseas. You've seen it in other places. But we've never seen that here. Things are changing. And we have to change too. Okay? So let me, do, let me wrap this up, all right? What's the goal of this series? And I pray that you stick with me these next couple of weeks. And it's the same series that Pastor Matt's going to be teaching in Bayville tomorrow. Wall Township, the same, the same teaching is going to be done there all, all these three weeks. No matter what campus you go to, no matter what you, who you listen to online uh, from this church, we will be preaching the same exact thing. Why? Because this is important. We've got to get ready. Look, it, God never called new beginnings to be like a... 
um, country club type church, okay? You know, I, I, my wife and I'll sit around, sometimes I'll sit around with the leaders and go, I, I don't know. It seems like God always gives us the hard jobs to do. You know, not that I would want this because I, I don't really know how to play golf, but I laugh when I hear some of these pastors that all they do is play golf for a week and then they show up on Sunday. I'm like, what the heck did I do wrong? He puts us right in the middle of this community. Nobody can ignore us. We're right here in the middle. Everybody has to pass on the street to go any place in town. Gives us the responsibility of feeding the communities, not just Bricktown, but Lakewood, Tomsville, everything else. Okay? It just seems like he's put us here for a reason. He's given us the responsibility to be a light to this community. I'm not looking down on any other churches. God bless the other churches. Okay? But I know what our job is. You listening to me? I know what our calling is. I know what our mandate is, okay? And this was prophesied over us before this church even started, okay? Many of you know Margie Florent, okay? She's actually coming back in November again, okay? Okay, she, she, she hardly knew us. She knew a little bit about us when we were in Bible school. She was, she was conducting a prayer meeting where two individuals were there that knew us very well. This is why we just started Bible school in 1995, September of 1995, and in that prayer meeting, Margie prophesied, oh, oh, I hear the word, I hear the name New Beginnings. Nobody ever told her the church was going to be New Beginnings. I hear the word, I hear the name New Beginnings. What's this about Joe Soros? She didn't even know I was in Bible school. She said, she prophesied, that church is going to help Ocean County and the Jersey Shore prepare for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You listening to me? That's been the driving force in us from day one. Get as many people saved, get as many disciples made. Why? We've got to get people ready. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. I mean, I could go through the history of this church and line it all up for you. So what are we doing here? What's our goal? Our goal is this, to buy the scriptures, by the word of God for us to prepare, to be able to live through these times and still maintain our sanity. Do you notice how many people have lost their minds in the past 18 months? Don't, 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 don't point. To maintain our joy, to keep our lives well-balanced and productive while we gather as many lost as we can. Our goal is to maintain strong marriages, raise stable, well-equipped children, to glorify God with our lives while we wait for the blessed hope to return to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now... One last scripture, and then we're going to close for tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. The same chapter we started out with. We're going to skip down to verse 13. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Right there should tell you we're in the last days. <laughs> verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, talking to Timothy, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, in the context of what it was originally meant to be, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete Thoroughly equipped for every good work when? In the last days. That's the context that that scripture is in. 
Let's not forget that Paul wrote all these things to churches who were already experiencing persecution. So what's our takeaway tonight? Here, the early church believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus would be coming again. The central message was hope in the second coming of Jesus. The scriptures show us that we're definitely in the season just before the coming of the Lord, and we draw our strength and wisdom from the word of God in order to live during these times. So what action can we take from now until next week? Because you're going to come next week, right? And you're going to bring somebody because you know people need to hear this. Right? And if, if you're not, you haven't grasped the reality of this, I pray in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would make it real to you. But in the meantime, the best thing that you and I could do is to start taking inventory of our own lives. What am I living like? What am I living like? You listening? Take inventory. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Holy Spirit, what do, I need to, what do I need to amp up? What do I need to eliminate? What do I need to, what do I need to change so that you can prepare me for these last days? Listen, church, we need to do this. There are young people that are going to be looking for answers because the days that are coming are very frightening. We already have a generation. Those that were infants when the towers fell are now in their 20s. And they've lived in a different age. Now we've got those that have been affected by this pandemic now, the fear, the crippling paralysis of all that fear now they're growing up in. We have got to be strong for them. We've got to set a good example for them to follow so that they don't lose their minds and get overtaken with fear. Are you listening? Amen.